0: The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Holmes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.
1: Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.
0: Hello and welcome to The Echo Chamber. I am Diana Marzalek. I'm senior reporter with The Holmes Report. And I am here today with Larry Weber. Larry is founder and CEO of RacePoint Global. Um, he is also well known as the Weber in Weber Shanwick. He is the founder of Weber Shanwick, and um, he is here today to talk technology and his new book and the state of uh, morality in, in the industry. And I appreciate you being here.
1: So happy to be here.
0: Excellent. So you were telling me the story that is interesting that now everybody is a tech firm, but you started tech firms before there was a tech firm.
1: Yeah. The, I was in Boston at the time, or in Cambridge actually, and uh, we started to work for a software company called Lotus that some older people might remember. <laughs> uh, they were really the reason that the IPM PC first took off in the early 1980s. and. Um, I had just gotten there from Cleveland. My wife's from Boston area, and I couldn't get her to stay in Cleveland for some reason. Mm-hmm. So I uh, started working for a large ad agency, and I thought I was going to die, Diana, because the whole first two weeks was writing a press release for Titleist Golf Balls on a
0: You didn't find your – that didn't pump you up.
1: Why 386 dimples are going to make your ball go (laughs) further and straighter. My wife said things will get better, and I went to a party of a bunch of MIT people, and Mitch Kapoor was there, the founder of Lotus. And he said, well, come see me. I have a software company. And I remember literally saying, what software? And and I went to see him in Cambridge, and all he had was a futon and an IBM PC Mm -hmm. in his office. And he had uh, developed a product called 123, which was – most people listening to this would know excel from microsoft so it's a spreadsheet and but they were first
0: interesting and so you've seen not only the i mean you've seen the technology industry certainly evolve, but the pr industry that follows the technology followed that what
1: what was happening at the time in the pr industry is you started to see sort of specialization into sort of food, sports, and but you didn't see technology yet. And this was a category that was difficult to explain, difficult to build a narrative around. And I just said, why not? And advertising was having trouble in that category versus the other categories because it was hard in a simple ad to explain some of the complexities in simple terms. Of how the technology and the software would be used, and then there was a West Coast counterpart to what I was doing, named Regis McKenna, who's still around and a wonderful man, and was a had launched Apple uh, in the back in those days with uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, and I proceeded to keep working with the East Coast guys, and eventually it all kept going so well. We opened in Palo Alto, and you know, and we kept we got clients like SAP to introduce them around the world, and. AOL, and I just kept going, and it was fun. You know? I'm
0: sure it was fun, and plus, you you really interacted with some of the like seminal moments and seminal brands of technology, right? Yeah. Including, you told me the story of the, the guy who launched the World Wide Web. Well, that's, an, <laughs> that's
1: a fun story. I hope I don't bore your listeners, but um, I started doing more and more work for the MIT labs. This was also a new experience for me because... Uh, this is the first time I saw professors with brand-new BMWs and brand-new Mercedes. <laughs> Versus, and,
0: like, the crazy professor. Right, the crazy
1: professors <laughs> I had in college, right. you know. These were consultants to, you know, Bill Gates and, uh, you know, other uh, famous people. And so the one of the consultants, his name was uh, Michael Dertuzos. And Michael had started the Lab for Computer Science. And uh, he called me one day in the early 90s, and he said, Larry, he had a Greek accent, and he said, Larry, I have to come to see you. There are two Greeks on this campus, and one is famous and should not be, and one is not famous and should be, and that's <laughs> me. Of course, he was referring to my friend Nicholas Negroponte, who had started the MIT Media Lab. Okay. And we had done some work with them over the years. But anyway, long story short, Michael shows up, who's six foot eight, with this young British man named Tim Berners Lee. Uh, and Michael went first and talked to me about all the different great inventions like Ethernet, which is our networking Mm. technology that eventually was 3Com that came out of uh, the lab for computer science voice technology, which is actually the root code from Dragon Systems is still in Alexa uh oh, with your Amazon and with your Siri. Hmm. So this this stuff has long tails. Uh but anyway, so he he explained all this and said how the world's going to change and I yeah, the PR people listening to this would like this too. Uh he had brought uh, a Betamax video. Remember those anybody? I do
0: remember those. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was an uh, it was uh interview with him and Bryant Gumbel on the 1981 Today Show on the the occasion of his bestseller with the uh, soon-to-be Nobel Prize winner Robert Solow in economics from MIT. And the book was entitled Made in America, still worth a read, by the way. And back then, Germany and Japan were like eating our lunch. They were like big economic powerhouses. Uh, and we were having some trouble with not having updated factories, things like this. And this book said, "Don't worry about it because we America has something called software, and it's going to change everything. And of course, it, um, Brian Gumbel says to Dr. detuzos, uh, who was a consultant to Bill Gates on a regular basis uh, said, Oh, now, come on, can't you tell me that this personal computer stuff is just a fad? And Michael D'Artusis looks at him and goes, Not only is it not a fad, but in the future, they all these machines will be connected and you'll be able to buy and sell uh, things and talk to people and talk to your doctor in India and blah, blah. And <laughs> he was describing what is today, you know? Yeah. And I was mm-hmm. like, Wow and then i said yeah of course we can you know t- talk uh, you know about you and send out some releases yeah we can
0: help you out with that <laughs> that little concept
1: Right? yeah that little concept and then he said it's tim's turn mm-hmm. and tim explained to me something called html a which stood for hypertext markup language never knew what that meant and which was basically what he designed software to go be a layer on top of the internet to which um, made it more visual and easy to share, because he was having trouble sharing his uh, research with other researchers in CERN in Switzerland. And Michael convinced him to bring his work to the Lab for Computer Science. And Tim was trying to explain this, and I wasn't quite getting it, but he said, I'm calling it the World Wide Web. And I was like, oh, well, that's sort of interesting. <laughs> catchy name. <laughs> catchy, catchy, catchy name. And so they wanted to start a consortium and get people to know about the web and right. what a URL is. Okay. And it was like it was so so we did a whole campaign, you know, about this stuff. And, of course, now he's Sir Tim Berners-Lee and he's working on the good Internet and trying to make it, uh, you know, back uh, a little more controllable uh, and uh And it's lovely. We have try to have breakfast, you know, once a year. But that was it was compelling because I saw how that technology platform was gonna change everything. And it was especially communications and that's when I not only started trying to use technology more in the practice of public relations but i also tried to um use technology as as, a social impact for our clients and how that was going to you know start to do things and then i also saw that there was going to be something called websites for all the companies so i started a separate company called thunderhouse to actually develop the first websites for people like sap and uh ibm and and it was really quite it sounds more interesting than it was, listeners, because um, it actually was just putting, like, sales literature on the web, you know.
0: That's what everything was. It was just yeah, it kind was of just... – informa- it was just information. Yeah. But I guess my, I was going to ask you how you go from launching to the World Wide Web to everything else. Because like, it seems like – I don't want to say it's downhill from there, but, I mean, that's the most <laughs> <laughs> historic thing in technology that's happened. But it sounds like you continue to leverage and work the technology that you were – promoting for lack of a better word. And
1: also it got it got me and my my colleagues so deep into the technology community as it was starting to grow mm-hmm. and expand. And so like Regis McKenna used to say, I never considered myself part of the PR industry. I always wanted to be more of the electronics industry. Mm-hmm. And so I still wanted to be part of the PR industry and the marketing industry. But I also wanted to be respected for understanding how technology worked. And so the respect that came with working with MIT, with the World Wide Web creator, you know, and, you know, with all the, you know, uh, emerging companies, entrepreneurs and founders uh, of the other people we worked with, it became interesting, and it was in, to follow each wave of computing and, and how these things were going to impact. I mean, I remember starting with uh, Magellan, the first search engine back in, geez, it must have been 96 or 90, and I thought that was going to take off, and then that faded away. Okay. And then I we worked with digital equipment that had Alta Vista. I thought that one was going to take off, and then that faded away. And this thing called Google came out, uh, and I remember meeting them in 2003 at a conference in Colorado uh sergey and larry page and i i remember saying hey will you ever be able to use this search stuff on your phones and they had flip phones and they said oh yeah sure you'll be able to do that but then also i had left there and i said those guys are gonna win and i started to use google more and i realized they had figured out was genius and that was how to t- attach advertising to search uh, so you know- and wow so it was fun to watch all this stuff develop it was also f- not so fun but also learning to watch the crashes that happened some people might remember the dot-com bust yes you know when the first whole uh you know internet a lot of people thought that now the internet's a fad and no 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 it was just the business models were wrong i remember um, a kid coming he had just gotten great funding from charles river ventures in, in boston to start furniture.com and the problem was he didn't have a return policy and i guess most people <laughs> like to sit <laughs> in their couch <laughs> yeah but I would be, think so if you before they buy it so there were all these <laughs> business models that were just too naive for the internet at the time
0: although some still exist now it's the mattresses that show up Matt- I, and i keep thinking well unless they have showrooms somewhere but that's like the rave that mattresses show up. I'm thinking that everybody has to feel what it's like before they sleep in a mattress, right? Totally, totally. And you, so then you had the opportunity and sort of the wherewithal to become embedded in the industry to some degree and learn about the industry. Now, kind of fast forward to where we're at and every agency is a tech agency and every business is a tech business. Can the PR industry as a whole do the tech industry Justice. I mean, do they have the ex- those expertise that really can assess a business model that really can assess the longevity of a particular technology?
1: I think they can. I think there's now there's multiple layers, though. I think back when I was starting, there was really two layers. There was the actual technology explaining to engineers what this technology was. Then there was the use user layer. How do you use this technology? you know, for the betterment of whatever. Today, what I think is that, you know, with the digital natives grabbing all the headlines, Amazon, uh, Facebook, um, Google, that every company... Is really a technology company and has to be positioned that way, how they're using AI, how they're using edge computing, how they're using different types of software, and how they're using data to be a better company. That's all the purview of earned media or PR, right, to have programming in each of those. The audiences are far more complex than they were. That's something that we're very good at as PR people is understanding constituencies and how you engage in those constituencies. So I think there's multiple opportunities now with technology and innovation and being a good company or moral programs like I write about in my last book um, that is right in the sweet spot of PR communications programs. And so, and I think if you're a good communicator and uh, understand influence this day and age, I think you can uh, do a lot for a client.
0: Well, you mentioned your book, which I have sitting here ready to discuss. Um, It's called Authentic Marketing, How to Capture Hearts and Minds Through the Power of Purpose. It's your sixth book, correct? Yes. And it was out in January, came out in January? Came out in
1: January, yeah.
0: So you have two um, words, In the headlines that we hear a lot, or in your title that we hear a lot about, authentic and purpose.
1: Yeah. Tell me
0: about that. (laughs) Well, the the premise of your book.
1: I guess it all. I started thinking about this a lot in a really simple way. My oldest um, daughter was graduating from college, and you know how the frequently companies come to recruit, you know, Mm -hmm. to colleges and. They were, you know, a line of companies recruiting at her college, and she and her friends were assigned to write sort of the their version of a survey monkey that people could fill out, the students could fill out, to rate the companies that came to interview you. And I said, oh, I'd be interested in looking at that. And, uh and I thought the first question on the survey was going to be something like, could I make a lot of money here? Or, you know, is this going to a place I could build my career? And the first question was, was that company a good company? And I started to think, and I asked, talked to her a bit. And then I started to think some more. And I was, you know, with um, a soon-to-be client, he wasn't a client then, uh, a gentleman named Sam Allen, who was the CEO of John Deere & Company. Yeah. Uh, it's called Deere and Company, technically, but anyway, it was named after John Deere, who founded it. And uh, we were speaking, and this is in the book, by the way, I think chapter one uh, or <laughs> two. And we were speaking, and I said, "Sam, what's your legacy going to be? Are you going to be this the guy that sold, you know, more green tractors than the last guy?" And he said, "No, you know, I want to position this company as helping farmers through the new technologies and data." And software that's available so that we can provide the food that's going to be needed in this world, you know, by 2050 with billions more people. And I just thought about that some more. And then I talked to three or four other CEOs about sort of their purpose. And then this CEO, Larry Fink of of Blackstone, came out about a year and a half, two years ago with that really clarion call saying we're not going to invest in any company that doesn't have some social you know, uh, meaning or some kind of purpose. And I said, you know what, this makes total sense for marketing. One, you have to be authentic. So this isn't about CSR or about philanthropy. You have to look at your DNA and what can you give back through what you've developed in your success, all right, that is important and impactful. So for Deer, it happened to fit that you could say, gee, we're having farmers embrace Data, software, for better yields. We put together engagement programs to their constituencies. We understand the technology and innovation that they're using to help them. And their moral purpose was more food, faster, better for uh, consumers.
0: And that is, I mean, that to me speaks to the, the word authenticity because it's everything the company is about totally i mean they're serving their customers right. and but their customers have the opportunity i mean they i mean feeding the world is a big mission right, right. so i mean they they speak to that not every company has that
1: correct and so in the end of the book though i start to go gee here's a way to do it so i say chapter 12 or 13 <laughs> we've skipped is, a few yeah, chapters here. yeah is is the entire plan on finding a company's p- purpose through its dna mm-hmm. so one example i give is does isn't happening right now but if i were to ever to have a chat with jeff bezos i would say you're spending all this time creating different leadership companies in different categories one caught my eye which is the drones and the drone army and he's using for delivery and stuff well think about this since he's going to know more or his company will know more about drones and delivery than any other company on the planet why wouldn't when there's a uh the Fires in California again, or you know, a tsunami in Hawaii, or some kind of thing that all of a sudden, guess what? That army of drones is there in a second with, you know, with medical uh, thing, care and food and water. So it's thinking like that that I think companies and then the PR purveyors of just saying, "Look, we're not making this stuff up. We're just presenting to you an authentic company that has a soul, right. a company that truly is trying to help with." The, the expertise that they have. And I think you can go down the line. Think of an old line company like US Steel. How about, you know, the materials of the future? That's perfectly a, a, a purpose, right? right? So that it's more sustainable, so it's safer, so it's, you know, anyway, you, you get the picture, of, I think, what I'm
0: No, I do, and when you when you brought up the drones, I thought of, you know, like the airlines that deliver supplies after a, right, right. that sort of thing. Um. But a lot of it sounds like it has to come from the CEO, or could it also come from the PR company? I
1: think it could come from the PR company, and that's that's, uh,
0: that could be legitimate. That could be authentic. Totally,
1: totally authentic. You know, and I think you could, yeah, because it's we're going to help you then, you know, thread that narrative into your your YouTube stories, into your, you know, um, um, social media, um, and um and, and everywhere else that we can talk about it we should put it into the speeches of executives so that it's not the it's not at you know it, you know this this idea of oh, aren't we good look at us and we, we need credit for our charity? no it's the idea that we want to make money, we mm-hmm. want to give money back to our shareholders, but we also want to be a good company and do right by the world, you know
0: so, so having purpose is different than, what we've also discussed a lot, which is um, taking a stand on bigger societal issues.
1: Yeah. That's a whole – I cover that in the book, and that's a tough one. This is one I think, you know, people like you, professionals like you and the homes, you know, could could really lend a great, um, you know, thinking to. And, and that is the idea that, you know, um, a company this day and age is going to have to have – a stand and a opinion on different social issues of the day and some examples you know again might be you know your sexuality issues it could be uh... the the haves and the have not issues one thing that comes to mind right away you know is um... privacy and apple he's really pushing Mm -hmm. that concept uh... tim cook the um... Other event that happened, you might recall when Microsoft employees were fairly upset, uh, a group of them anyway, when they found out that the Border Patrol and the U.S. government on down uh, where Trump's wall was supposed to go was was that software was being used to where the families, Mm -hmm. you know, and. Uh, Are we separating children with them? Nobody could answer the questions. And there was an uproar. What is our position on immigration at Microsoft? Now, this is a tough one because not everybody's on the left in a company. Not everybody's on the right. But I think in this day and age, you're going to have to, as a company, sort of try to get employees to... Understand that we have to have some leadership around social issues, and I hope I don't sound hugely democratic here because I'm actually very independent. And (sighs) um, but I think for the lack of leadership that we have in other areas, for companies to stand up and say we have opinions about that, you know, homelessness. I mean, which is something a number of technology companies on the West Coast, because the issue is so. you know, tough there, have taken on. So I think that's really important. So.
0: And it is really important, and we talk about being a good company and, and having that purpose. Um, but you're also talking about it as a marketing tool is that marketing to your employees or is that marketing to
1: i think you have to go to your employees first okay yeah i really do i think they're their your first line of ambassadors i don't think that's changed i also think that we to your talent in general what's interesting to me i'd love to hear from your listeners and or people that follow um your writing for the first time in the last quarter we got three rfps from big companies to help them to recruit talent. Now I, and and a lot of it was around engineers because they were tired of losing engineers to Facebook, to Apple, to Amazon. And why wasn't my company as cool as them to recruit? So this is something that's sort of interesting that it's expanding a bit, uh, uh, you know, a group, uh, a category of RFP that I hadn't really seen. That is know, interesting,
0: because that's beyond before. employee communication. Yes. That's Future employee communications. So
1: I think the way PR, I think, could be more advanced on this is looking at talent in general. So talent that's working there now, talent that should work there in the future or recruitment, and maybe even alumni. So take something out of the book of, you know, uh, colleges, you know, that have programs for their alumni and and PR programs uh, for their alumni so that you're trying to take care of that talent base that's either has worked, is working or will work, and that's going to have to have some thread of moral purpose in it as well.
0: And we were talking technology companies, although they, a lot of technology companies are also consumer companies, consumers are are part of this as well in terms of having a, quote, good company, correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, although, I don't know how, or I'm asking you, how, how limited or how far-reaching that idea goes in terms of populations and what people can actually do. Yeah, I think people my
1: age as a baby, I'm sort of at the lower end of the baby boomers, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think we were raised uh, that it wasn't as important. I mean, philanthropy was part of the picture and then corporate social responsibility but it was after you were successful, Right. And then also corporate social responsibility always bothered me a little bit, even though I think it's good to be good, no matter what flavor it is.
0: Right. That's how I, my take is it. Yeah. It's, if you're doing something good, take it. Yeah, it's
1: OK. <laughs> take it. But it was like it was so random to me. It's right. like IBM says, I'm only going to give this is back number of years only if it deals with kindergarten through 12th grade okay so that has to be the issue or that has to be the recipient of my good kind of thing where I'm you know saying now I think your employees are interested but also consumers and Millennials especially in buying and interacting with companies that have some moral compass and that they'll share that and almost become co creators in your brand so that, you know, they become almost a a social sales force, you know, for you.
0: Right. Are, are there companies that don't – I don't want to say they don't have a purpose. All companies have a purpose. But I imagine there are companies that are harder than others to steer in this direction or to even – I mean, do you ever yeah. have to, like, really think about what is this company's purpose? Do you ever knock yeah, your head against I, a wall?
1: I won't give you the name right now, but we've been invited to a, a very large chemical company. And this is a tough one, you know, because the chemicals leave the earth not so good, right. you know. And I think we're looking if if they want to commit to, like, say, a, a partnership that is well-funded with a university on the future of safe chemicals or stuff like that. So we start to play around with those ideas. But, you know, at some point you have to decide who you want to work with and who you don't want to work with, who you want to buy from. Who you don't want to buy from, so it's. Um, I think it can be get complex, and also there might be just your basic candy company or something like that. Yeah, you know? <laughs> they just want to right. make lemon drops. But you know, right? They just want to make lemon drops. But you could you could say, you know, what they bring joy. You know? Exactly.
0: Everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a purpose. But you bring up the, the unnamed chemical company. I mean, this goes back to practicing what you preach, right? Whether your moral compass, whether your purpose. Can work totally, with-
1: and mm-hmm. I get that question from our millennial employees mm-hmm. at race point all the time, you know, and you know should and I you know I've drawn the line when we've been we're asked by a tobacco company, okay, all right, and so we said no, and it was uh and a, uh, one of the vaping companies, I don't even know what vaping is, but you know right. uh I think I asked my the employees what do you think, and the most did thought it was. Not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, alcohol companies, I'm not sure. I would have to have that discussion. you know, if you also worked on have it consume it, part of the message was consuming it, you know uh, responsibly or something like that. is that okay, you know? Uh, so but I think you have to take it issue by issue and um, and not try to have a liberal or a conservative filter for it, but a humanity or a human filter for it and then i think you make a judgment if you should partner you know with the client
0: right the hard part is to some degree taking the politics out of it right like it's these...
1: well and it's hard you know this might get into a, another tangent you might we might want to go in but it's also the the uh, ethics and the morality of certain technologies you when i first was working with ai out of the mit ai lab in the late 80s early 90s i morality never came in my mind at all or ethics never came in my mind at all but today ai can be used in a lot of very bad ways right. you know and so to understand the ethical impo- the importance of ethics and a moral filter to certain technologies is extremely important. Social technologies, I mean, look at Facebook thought they didn't have a problem. And, you know, and oh, come on, we couldn't have influenced the election at all. And then you see these fake websites and the fake news and the the bots and the, you know, and you went, well, oh my God, who's watching? And then you see a guy like Mark Benioff, who's greatly successful with his Salesforce.com, one of the first Companies to have a technology chief ethical officer. So you know, he named that about about six months ago, a year ago. And what is it? What
0: is a chief technology ethical officer? To
1: make to sure that the research and the application of the new of the technologies from voice collecting data, so right. to to um, artificial intelligence, machine learning is used in an ethical way. And so, I think that's pretty interesting, and and that's a new pretty much a new concept for a lot of people but it's coming on us fast
0: oh it has to be especially now with so much that it's unraveled in the last year um is it incumbent then upon the the pr agency the communicators to to consider that in working with companies or to advise the companies to be aware of it i mean or is it just part of the bigger package
1: (laughs) it's a bigger package but i think the most important thing is the latter thing you said was making them aware that if they aren't aware that there's huge ethical issues around the use of technologies now that we're in this seventh wave of technology, like I explained in this book, which is I call humanity meets technology. Mm -hmm. And you can't separate them anymore. We had six waves of technology where the technology companies would put out a platform that they said was agnostic and um, apolitical. And whatever you do with that technology, you know, it's like the gun makers, right? right? I'm allowed to make guns, but once it leaves... The Walmart, you know, not my problem. Right. Well, you know, technology can't do that anymore. Facebook can't say I'm not responsible for this platform. Yes, you are. You know, you are. So, what,
0: what, what, do you, what do you do with a Facebook?
1: Ah, what do you do with the Facebook? First thing I would do with the Facebook is balance out the political and privacy uh, issues that they're dealing with which why 2.4 billion people are on the platform anyway. It's not it's not that this is a bad thing. This this is un this is a phenomenon that 2.4 billion people right. like going on this, you know. Right. I mean, some people might call the addiction to it a little weird, but you know, right. that you want to have funny videos of your pet, you know. what you have for dinner? But okay, that's to, another story. <laughs> that's another story, but I think um, you know, they have gotten big, but it, they They really have to learn to police themselves much better, have better filters, and I think they're trying. I I really do think they're trying, but I think the arguments and the discussions of privacy and government intervention and those kinds of things are far more complex. Than doing marketing programs about why they were here in the first place, and that's good. The other complexity for Facebook with all this talk about regulatory things is I don't think our government would know what to do to regulate. I mean, when you have our senators calling it the Facebook (laughs) last year, (laughs) that's what it was called in 2004 when it was created. right? So So
0: I appreciate your time. This has been a great conversation. Um,
1: Well, I loved it, and PR has been very good to me. and. I couldn't recommend it more as a profession, and I I hope to spend many more years in it. And I thank you, and I thank the Holmes Report and Paul for all their contributions.
0: Appreciate it. We'll keep the conversation going.
1: Great. Thanks. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber.
0: Brought to you by The Holmes Report and produced by Marketeers. sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.